right. How many of you guys are full of hope and encouragement today? That's good. I sure am. I sure am. I'm excited about him. I'm excited about his kingdom. excited about what he's doing. I'm excited about what he's going to do. I'm excited about what I get to do with him, through him, for him, all that good stuff. I'm just excited. Just excited. Let's pray. (sighs) Thank you, Father, for what you're already doing this morning, today. Holy Spirit, we do ask that you would teach us. Our hearts are ripe, they're ready. We're ready for your word, not just to hear, but to put into practice what you want to teach us. So we just thank you ahead of time for the word that's going to transform our souls. And we thank you for the opportunity to partner with you, to partner with life, to partner with hope. And we love you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Last week, those of you who were here, if you weren't here last week, I believe the the sermon is on the podcast on the internet. So you can listen to that. I'm going to touch briefly on uh, recapping last week, but I'm not going to go into all the details. But last week we talked about the story of David and his men when they were out fighting battles and, and doing what warriors do, and then they came home to Ziklag where they lived. And when they came home, they discovered that not only was their city burnt down, their houses burnt to the ground, but their wives and their children were kidnapped. They were taken to be slaves uh, by, I believe it's the Amalekites, some kind of kite. So when you see a name with a kite at the end, it's probably not good. Unless you're flying a kite, then that's okay. So anyway, they came and so they, they discovered this, this um, very incredibly challenging and horrible situation. To have their kids, their family, their wives gone. And it said that, now these were warriors. These were men, they, they fight for a living. This is what they do. They get bored, they go out and kill people. They fight. And so they came home, and when they discovered this situation, they were so distraught. Not only were they battle-weary and just ready to be home and celebrate and hang out with their family, and their family's gone. It said that they were so distraught that they cried until there was no more strength in them to cry. So they couldn't even cry anymore. And, and then it says, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of killing him. So not only was David dealing with the same situation they were, but then they wanted to kill him. You know, they had to blame somebody. He's the leader, so they had to blame him for their situation. It says, but then it says, but David strengthened or encouraged himself in the Lord. So David was in this distraught circumstance. It says, but David encouraged, strengthened himself in the Lord. And then after that, then he sought the Lord for wisdom and direction. And one thing I mentioned last week is you can be... You can be, uh, don't put the scriptures up yet because I'm not lined up with what's the scriptures I gave you. You can be in a very trying situation. And a lot of times in that situation, you're trying to cry out to God and get God's wins. God, help me, help me. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And you cannot hear him because your emotions are screaming so loud that you can't hear his voice. And you notice in this situation, it, said, it didn't say that David sought the Lord. First, it says David encouraged himself in the Lord. He got his soul quiet. And I believe what that looked like was is he reminded himself of God's goodness. When you're in a bad situation, it's easy to forget how good God is. Because your circumstances are screaming at you and they're screaming the lie that God is not good. God does not care for you. God wants to kill you. God wants you destroyed. And your emotions are going all over the place. And I believe in that circumstance, when your soul is in that state, you cannot hear him clearly. And I would even encourage you not to make any choices, especially if you're in a very distraughtful situation. I would encourage you not to make any big choices in that situation because they're probably going to be wrong. Probably going to be wrong. Do I get an amen? Amen. <laughs> 
So anyway, it says David, he encouraged himself in the Lord. And then after that, then it says he sought the Lord. He said, bring me the ephod. And then he asked the Lord, shall I go? Shall we go after them? And will we overtake them? And the Lord says, yes, you shall overtake them. And you shall win everybody back. And as we read the story, we saw that David did, him and his men went after the bad guys, destroyed them all, except for 400 who fled. And then they got all their women and children back and they lived happily ever after until the next chapter. But anyway, so, so they, they experienced victory. And that was last week. Now I want to ask you this question. On a regular basis, meaning being characterized by, on a regular basis, which do you partner with? Hope or discouragement? Which do you partner with? Hope or discouragement? And when people partner with you, when someone partners with you, are they partnering with hope or discouragement? Do they experience hope or discouragement when they partner with you? What does it look like to partner with hope? Not yet, Siri. <laughs> so funny how she'll randomly just answer questions. Partnering with, with hope looks like being reminded of and feeding on the goodness of God. Partnering with hope is expressing gratitude and gratefulness to the Father, feeding on encouragement in any situation regardless of the circumstances. So when you're in a negative, trying, horrible, hard circumstance, partnering with hope looks like reminding yourself and feeding on the goodness of God. It's expressing gratitude and gratefulness to the Father, even in the bad circumstance, and it's feeding on encouragement. Partnering with discouragement looks like focusing on and being reminded by your being reminded how bad the how bad the situation is. It looks like elevating and exalting those negative circumstances above the ability and goodness of the Father. Partnering with discouragement also looks like blaming, gossiping, bad-mouthing people. You feed on fear and worry. And I have to be honest with you, and this is obvious, that when you're in a crisis situation, partnering with discouragement is the easiest and most attractive path. It's what our soul will naturally try to gravitate towards. You know, the Bible says that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. When you are in a hard situation... What is in your heart will come out. What is in your heart will come out. You know, it's easy to, when, when things are going good, it's easy to praise and worship. It's easy to rejoice. It's easy to look very Christian-y when things are going well. But when things are going hard, when, when you get hit right in the face with a very trying circumstance or situation, What's coming out of your heart? What's coming out of your heart? Actually, what's in your heart will come out. And what does that look like? What does that sound like? You know, you remember the story of David and, and the men in Ziklag and everything. Uh, if you go ahead and put up uh, 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. And it says, now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people were grieved. Every man for his sons and daughters, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. That first part where it says, for the people spoke of stoning him. Okay, now go to the next passage, 1 Samuel 30, 21 through 24. It says, now David came to the 200 men who had been so worried. Well, let me back up. Let me explain what happened. Remember when they're going to battle, and on their way, they find a, they find a young man who was a former slave of one of the Amalekite leaders. And they leave him because he's almost dying and sick and everything. So they find him and David says, hey, where can you take us to show us the, where the, these guys are? And so they cut a deal. And so as they're on their way, as David and the good guys are on their way to confront the bad guys, some of the good guys are getting tired. They're worn out. Because remember, they had already been fighting and, and all the stuff. They were tired. And so 200 of them could not continue to go into the battle. So David said, well, okay, you guys stay here and take care of the stuff. 
200 stayed there, so 400 went on. They fought the battle, and, and then this is where we pick up. It says, now, they fight the battle, they win, they get all their kids back and their families back and everything, and they get all this, all this stuff. And it says, now, David came to the 200 men who had been so weary that they could not follow David, whom they had also made to stay at the brook Besor. So they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near the people, he greeted them. Now listen, then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David answered and said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except for every man's wife and children, that they may lead them away and depart. But David said, my brethren, you should not do so with what the Lord has given us, who has preserved us and delivered us and delivered into our hand the troop that came against us. For who will heed you in this matter? But as... But as his part is who goes down to the battle, so shall his part be who stays by the supplies. They shall share alike. So basically, David was saying that now there was some wicked people who said, look, since y'all didn't go out and fight with us, y'all ain't getting nothing. Now, you can have your wives and kids and everything. Take your kids and family and get on out of here. And David said, no, that's not how it's going to be. And matter of fact, David said a decree that was, that was from that point on that those who stayed with the stuff got just as much of the spoil, they got to celebrating the victory just as much as the men who went down to, to fight the battle. But what was interesting here is these men, I'm willing to bet, remember it says they spoke of stoning David. Remember that? It didn't say who, but I'm willing to bet it's the same group of people. See, when, when troubles come... When you find yourself in a situation, especially if there's a group of you, you find yourself in a situation, what's in your heart's going to come out. And see, what was in these people's heart was coming out. Now, these men had just fought with David. And then when they come and they're distraught and everything, then they want to kill David. They want to blame him. They want to blame somebody, and David's a perfect person to blame for the challenges. And then later on, these men stay back, and then they wanted to say, look, y'all don't get anything. You guys don't get anything. And it's interesting because it shows that what's in your heart, especially during... Now, at other times, when they were winning the battles and everything was good, you didn't hear much from these wicked people. They looked just like everybody else. But when the pressure came and things looked really bad, that's when they begin to speak up and they begin to, to spew out all the stuff against, causing strife and division, wanting to kill David, wanting to neglect the 200 men that had fought these other battles with him but weren't able to fight then. They wanted to just put them away. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. When everything is good and going our way, it's easy to sing worship songs and look good. But when challenges come and hit us in the face, what do we look like? What comes out of our, what comes out of our heart? Is it grumbling, complaining, cursing, whining, gossip, blaming? Or do we run to his presence? You know, it's one thing to complain and gripe and grumble amongst other people. That's bad. But I believe, now don't, I'm not quoting scripture on this, but I believe from what I see in scripture, God would rather you go to him and gripe and complain and whine and cuss and fuss and all that kind of thing. Because we see that, we see David do that in the, in the scriptures in Psalms. See, when you go to other people and you grumble and you gossip and you complain and you whine, all that kind of stuff, you infect them with this bad attitude and that's very contagious. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Then you affect other people with a bad attitude. And you get people who, are, who become offended who know nothing about the circumstance or the situation, only accept what you told them. And then maybe you and the circumstance gets resolved, but they're still offended. And the Bible warns and proverbs about the person or people who spread strife among brothers. It's a very, very not good place to be is a person who spreads strife among people. So talking or, or grumbling and griping, and all, matter of fact, the Bible tells us not to grumble and gripe. But doing that with other people is very dangerous. It's very damaging. But going to the Father, see, people can't handle that. 
God can. See, when you go to God and and you're with him and you're just crying out, God, why have you forsaken me? Do you not care anymore? And you're cussing and you're, you're saying all this stuff. Now, I'm not endorsing cussing. But if there's someone who it's not going to hurt, it's him. You know, when you look in Psalms and you see David and he's just, God, why have you forsaken me and you've left me and I thought you cared and, and all that. You see that at the beginning of the Psalm and at the end of the Psalm, he's talking about how great and good God is and how everybody's going to praise God because he's awesome and he's mighty. See, what happens is he goes into God's presence, pours his heart out. He allows the Lord to minister to him and then his perspective is changed. You know, I'm going to be willing to say this to, to be transparent. I meant to ask my boys, I was going to text them yesterday and ask them this, just to see, just take a poll amongst my sons. I have four who, who are out of the house, they're grown. And I was going to ask, and I was going to ask my wife if they've ever heard me cuss. I don't think they have, but I might be wrong. If they've, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. Have they ever heard me cuss? Ever since I've become a Christian, I don't think anybody has ever heard me cuss. But I can tell you one person who has, and his name is Jesus. And I say that to to mean that when I've been so angry and frustrated, I felt it okay, not right. I'm not endorsing cussing. At all. But I I think you understand what I'm saying. In his presence, I'm just screaming and mad and angry and saying words that I don't want anybody else to hear me say. If you're going to do that, I'm not not saying doing it. If you're going to do that, I encourage you to do it in his presence alone. And it's not going there for the sake of chewing them out and cussing them out and then leaving. That's not what I'm talking about. It's for the sake of going into his presence, knowing that, okay, God, I'm all jacked up right now. My emotions are screaming at me. I hate everybody right now, and I know you can do something about my emotional state. That's why I'm here. And I believe that's what David did. That's what he was doing. When he was throwing fits, let's say, when he was whining and crying, and God, how have you forsaken me? I don't think, now we don't know this. Maybe scholars do. I don't know this. I don't think he was doing that around people. I think his audience was God. And I just want to encourage and challenge you to look that same thing. That the grumbling, griping, the, the gossiping and all that, that is so damaging. That is so damaging. On many levels, many reasons. A lot of times people get mad about things and they, say, and they go and start spreading things and they've only heard one side of the story. And so the things that you're even saying aren't even true. Or you're only hearing one part. You're not even hearing the whole perspective. And it's just damaging. Just very, very not good. Had the Holy Spirit ask me this question this week. I think it was him. If it's wrong, it wasn't him, okay? If it's good, it was. But the question was, do you know the difference? Do you know what the difference between an immature carnal Christian and a mature spiritual Christian is? What's the difference? What makes one versus the other? What makes an immature carnal Christian versus a mature spiritual Christian? One who walks in freedom and victory in many areas versus one walking in bondage and defeat. It says, what makes the difference? You know what the answer is? Don't tell me. Because I'm going to tell you my answer anyway. The answer is a series of simple choices. A series of simple choices. If you ponder that for a few minutes, you'll think, well, that makes sense. But the difference is a series of simple choices. I'm not saying easy choices. I'm saying simple For example, if you're wanting to eat healthier and be healthier, you make simple choices dietarily speaking. At that restaurant, either choose to eat that chocolate cake or not. You choose to eat the fried chicken or the grilled chicken. You choose to eat the salad versus the macaroni and cheese. Do you see what I'm saying? 
Simple choices. And when you make those choices regularly, regularly, but every once in a while you slip up, you get the chocolate cake, sorry, okay, but you keep going, then you're going to become more mature in that area. If you're wanting to be in shape health-wise, you know, be fit and everything, when you make the simple choices of getting up, okay, I'm going to get up today and go do my workout versus I'm just going to sleep in. See, when you continue to sleep in every day, sleep in, you desire to be fit, but you don't make the choices to do what it takes to be fit, you're immature in that area. Matter of fact, as you make choices to not do the right thing, you're building a stronghold. But I believe when you make choices to do the righteous or the right thing, you're building strongholds of righteousness. So you can build, you're building strongholds either way. So it's a series of simple choices that makes a mature Christian spiritual overcoming versus the opposite. You know, years ago when I struggled with pornography, I didn't think I would ever get out of that. Ever. It's like, this is hopeless. There'd be times, oh God, I'm sorry, oh God, I'm sorry. And then make the same mistakes. It wasn't until, and I realized recently too, this is what true repentance looks like. See, we can be sorry and not be truly repentant. Because true repentance is going to be, when the Bible talks about repent, we hear it's a change of mind. See, as a man thinks, so is he. Repentance is going to be, you're going this way. Repentance means, I'm going to turn around and go this way. And what I believe that means is, I was making choices in this direction. Whenever the temptation was put before me, I chose to give in to that. I was making choices. The more choices I make, and I continue to make choices in that direction, I'm building a stronghold. And then you have bondage. And then it can go to the extreme where people have crazy bondage, and and it just goes off the hook. And that's what I was doing. I was making these choices. But when I truly repented, what it looked like was I started making choices in this direction. And as I was making daily choices... Daily choices, daily choices, daily choices, the bondage began to loosen and break. For example, I intentionally brought accountability into my life. I brought men, brothers to keep me accountable, and my wife. Now, when I'm counseling men in this area, talking to men about this battle, I don't always encourage them to bring their wife into accountability concerning this area, because not every wife can handle that. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but ladies just don't understand. They take it personally. And typically, ladies, if your husband is dealing or battling in this area, it's not a personal thing against you. But anyway, that's just a side note. But I felt I could bring my wife into accountability. So she had access to all my passwords, all my electronics. Anytime she wanted to, she could pick up my phone. She could pick up my tap or uh, not tablet, whatever that thing's called iPad, thank you, my laptops, anything, anytime, any way, any shape, whenever. It wasn't, hey, Cunny, can I look at your phone? Sir, just a second. You know, it wasn't any of that. She just picked it up. She had the freedom. She had the freedom. Started making choices like um, we had Dish Network. We still have Dish Network. And every once in a while, they, you know, they have these promotions and they, they, they uh, have these channels, these free channels like HBO, Send to the Max, um, all these other channels, and there's some bad stuff that comes on. And so what I would do is I'd say, honey, this week or this month they're saying all this stuff's coming on here. And I would tell her to put a passcode in the channels so only her, none of us, my boys or myself, knew what the passcode was. So when she forgot it, we were all in trouble. Couldn't watch TV. But it's like, honey, you, fit, you do the passcode, and, and that way it... If we wanted to watch one of those channels, she had to unlock it for us. See, simple choices, because what I began to do is I began to recognize what was the strategy the enemy was using against me. And I began to use counter strategy. For example, I knew a weakness was, or a challenging time is if I was traveling and I was staying in hotels, you have, inter- you have access to the internet, you have access to TV and everything. So I tell my wife... I'd say, hey, hun, tomorrow I want you to, uh, when we talk, I want you to ask me how it went last night. How did I do last night? 
So knowing, going into the battle or going into the situation, I know my wife's going to check up on me because I gave her permission to. The more I kept doing this, the more I kept doing I was making choices. Choices, 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 choices. And that stronghold or that, that place that, of captivity that I thought I was never going to be out of, it's not an issue anymore. It's not an issue anymore. Now, I'm not going to say it's not a temptation because I believe on this, while we're on this planet and this body, we're always going to be challenged with temptations. Jesus was tempted. He had temptations while he was in his physical body. But we don't have to fall into those temptations. We can make choices. And so, series of, of simple choices it was, is what makes the difference between being an overcomer, being strong, being victorious, or being defeated, being in bondage. So why do some people gossip often? Which is a very destructive thing. Because they make choices. Whenever someone comes with that dainty morsel of girl or God, you want to hear what I heard? Ooh, let me tell you. The ears perk open and you, you make the choice to indulge. Or you hear something about someone, or you get upset and angry about someone, and so you just can't wait to go tell somebody who will partner with you in the gossip and the slander towards that person. See, when you keep making those choices, then all of a sudden, next thing you know, gossip is a stronghold. It's a bondage. It's a regular part of your life. And unfortunately, in our society, we really don't see it as a, you know, if you, if you say gossip versus pornography... Of course, everybody would say, ooh, pornography is bad. Gossip, ain't eh, that big a deal. Unless you look at the Word of God. Because it listed as a sin, gossiping. You know, I did, a, I did an experiment one time. And I was intentional, and, and I had a point. I just wanted to see how prevalent gossip or negative talk is. How prevalent is it? And so I went to um, my study place where my laboratory was Brahms. So I bought me a number, whatever, a burger fries and a vanilla milkshake extra thick. And I sat down to study my subjects, not my food. But the, it, was, it was during lunch and it was very, very crowded. And so I sat down and I was just listening. I was eavesdropping on all the conversations around me. So I would just tune in and listen. Every single conversation, every single one, they were either talking about somebody negatively or they were griping about something. Every conversation. You know, yesterday I was at, at Walmart getting our, our flat tire fixed. You know we had a flat tire on the way home Friday night? Serious. Yep. Time for a new Toyota Tundra, baby. Right, Todd? <laughs> Anyway, so I'm in Walmart getting a flat tire fix, and I see these two people out. You know when, and when you're in Walmart at the old Walmart, you're inside, the garage is out here, and then you walk in that door, and then there's a little seating area right there. And then there's that glass, and so you can see out in the shop. I was sitting in there between watching a little bit of NCAA and looking to see when they were going to get my van in the shop. There were these two people, and I'm not going to say if they were guys or girls. Not going to paint any pictures. There's two people sitting there or standing there, and they were waiting for their vehicle, obviously, too. And I couldn't hear a single word that these two people were saying. But by the mannerisms and the body language, I could tell they were talking about somebody. You know, the head wagon and, the, you know, just the attitude and everything. I'm like, dang, someone's getting tore up. But it is so common. It's so easy. You know, we can even think that we're, we're having a prayer meeting. We need to pray. Oh, we need to pray for sister so-and-so. Let me tell you why. Did you know that she, or, you know, we, we can spiritualize it? It is so destructive. It is so destructive. And I had no intention of spending this much time talking about gossiping, but I suppose the Holy Spirit did. What about people who are very negative? In other words, they, they speak negative all the time. I mean, the things they say are just negative. 
And you can say, oh, man, I want a million dollars. Yeah, but you've got to pay taxes on half that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I got a half a million dollars. <laughs> it's like no matter what, they, they just have a negative mindset. Negative, 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 negative. And if you find yourself in that circumstance, series of choices has led you to that place. In the same way, a series of choices can lead you out of that place. And that's what I want to talk about today. You know, David, he's one of my heroes, the one in the Bible. If your name is David in here, you're my hero too, just saying. But the one in the Bible, David, just to see what he did. Now, of course, he made some major bad choices. I mean, had people killed, adultery, all that kind of stuff. So aside from that, uh, he was a pretty, pretty amazing guy. And this story about Ziklag is one of my favorite because it's, it's just one of the most horrendous things that you could think of happening, and yet how he responded. And I think that David was able to respond because of choices that he made leading up to that point. See, when you face crisis... When you face crisis, whatever you've built in your storehouse, that's what's going to come out. Whenever you face crisis, if you think all of a sudden you're going to be spiritual and everything, if you haven't been up to that point, it's not going to happen. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever you've been putting in there, whatever you've been depositing in there, that's what's going to come out, especially when pressure squeezes you. You know how they say if you squeeze a lemon, you get lemon juice, right? Well, when you get squeezed, what comes out? Lemons or lemonade? What's going to come out? And so David obviously made some choices. So when that happened, he was able to respond. Other people wanted to kill him. They wanted to react, but David responded. And because of David's response... Imagine if David would have reacted like the other guys did, the wives and children would have stayed slaves. He responded in a way that brought victory and freedom to other people. When you respond in victory, when you respond in a way that the Holy Spirit inspires you to respond, that can bring freedom and victory to people around you. So that's why it's so important because... Remember, we're all called to be leaders. We are called to influence people. We are called to love well. But if we're too busy reacting, just like everybody else is reacting, then who are we going to influence? And and think of this, we're influencing people, but how are we influencing them? Are we influencing them for the kingdom? Are we influencing and encouraging them to be carnal? And you know, the, when we talk about choices, the Bible says he did not give us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and self-control. We have, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you if you're born again. You have the spirit inside of you that can lead you to self-control. So you have the ability through the power of the spirit to make the right choices. I'm not talking about self-effort. Self-effort only gets you so far and then you, you fall back. But we have the ability and the grace and the power to make right choices that will make us overcomers. And so we're going to talk about seven choices, and I'm not going to have time to get through all these today. You know, I, I didn't plan to. Seven choices to make us be able to partner with life and hope. Seven choices for partnering with life and hope. Number one, and these, probably not going to be any new revelation, so you can relax. It's going to be stuff that you've heard before, stuff that, that we know, but we need to be reminded. Number one, first one, spending regular time with Jesus, abiding in him. Spending regular time with Jesus. And if I ask you, how many of you would say spending time with Jesus on a regular basis is important? Raise your hands. All of us would raise our hands unless you're sleeping and not paying attention. But if I said, okay, how many of you spend time with Jesus on a regular basis, meaning every day or close to every day, not all of our hands would go up. Even though we know this is probably the most important thing to do, it's probably the thing we're challenged with the most. 
Because if our schedules are so that we, let's say, for example, if our schedules are so that we, if I'm only going to, if I'm going to get time with him today, it's got to be before I start the day. If that's your circumstance, then you have the choice. Am I going to get up or am I going to push the snooze button? That's a choice. And, and life is so busy, and these devices, these cell phones, these smartphones, or these, whatever we want to call them, these devices, and technology, iPads, and all that kind of stuff, it has made our attention span so much shorter. I mean, it's crazy. And I remember a couple of years ago, the Lord showed me that I, have, that I was suffering from Prayer Attention Deficit Disorder, P-A-D-D. You know, because before I could spend time with the Lord, I could spend a couple hours with him, and it'd be awesome, be just amazing, and just a connection. And then, more recently, it's like I'd be spending time with him. You know, I would be reading my Bible on my cell phone, which I realize is dumb, you know why? Because you're reading your Bible on your cell phone, and all of a sudden you get a text. Oh, I better answer that really quick. Or you get an alert reminding you of what you, you know, your appointments or what you need to do, and you know, things coming up. At 5 o'clock tonight, you need to do this. And all these alerts and things that you have set in your phone, and, or your Facebook or whatever, just bleep, bleep, bleep. And you're, you know, you're sitting there reading, you know, for God so loved the world, squirrel. So distracted. And I feel like the Lord challenged me and encouraged me. I had to go find it. I had to go hunt it down and dust it off and reminded me how to use this thing. It's like, some of you may not know what this is. You know, it's funny. Me and Greg, uh, Greg Clarkson or, or Cornell, we'd be preaching up here. And, and I remember Greg doing this, and I've done it too. Said, you need to be in your word. <laughs> You need to get in your word. You know, because we used to do this. You know how we're talking about, you know, it, you got to get in your word and everything. And everybody knew what you meant. You're holding your Bible. you got to get in your word. But nowadays, it's like, you guys need to be in your word. <laughs> some of you younger generation are like, yeah, amen. And some of the older ones are like, what are you talking about? Why are you waving your phone? Anyway, small challenge. I challenge you, especially you under 40 types. Read this paperback, not this. Okay? I challenge you. Now, I know there's so many. What makes this so attractive is I can have, when I'm reading everything, I love it. Oh, I wonder what this says in this translation. Oh, I wonder what the Greek is. You have all that stuff at your, at your fingertips. Okay, when you're studying and you're digging, it's okay to use this. I'm not saying ban these. I'm not saying throw them. I mean, if you want to get rid of it, go ahead and give it to me. Okay? Hand them forward. I'm not saying don't use this, but when you want to just connect with Jesus, just to read the word just out of fellowship with him, I encourage you to get this and use this and read this. It's so important to spend time with him. You know, this Thursdays are my, my most challenging days when it comes to spending time with the Lord because I have my meetings start at 7 a.m., which means I have to get up at 530 and so, and then it, it's one of those days where I have meetings back to back to back to back to back. And so every once in a while I can find time in there, hour or two or hour and a half or whatever, maybe in the middle of the afternoon or late morning. But I find for me that when I wait till mid morning or late in the day to spend time with the Lord, my soul is ramped up and it's going. And so I'm trying to sit there and read the word of and I'm just, I got squirrels going all over the place. Squirrel, 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 you know, all these distractions. And so if I, I know what my schedule is going to be this coming up week, so okay, I know I'm, on these days I'm going to have these meetings and everything, then I need to intentionally plan the time I'm going to spend with him. And it was interesting because this last week, oops, something just broke. This last week, um, I think it was Thursday morning, I got up, I woke up at about, it was 4 I usually wake up around 5, 5.30, use the restroom, then I go back to bed. And I love it when I can, or you know, when you wake up in the middle of the night, and I love it. I hate it. If your alarm's set for 6 or whatever, I hate waking up at 5.55. Don't you just hate that? It makes you want to smack somebody. It's like, come on, really? 
But I love it when I wake up and I, ooh, I still got two hours of sleep. You know, I just love it. Love it. Well, I woke up at 4 o'clock one morning, one morning this week. I don't know why I woke up that early. I usually don't. But I woke up, went to use the bathroom, laid back down, and I found myself restless. My mind kicked on, you know, start playing tapes and everything. I started getting restless, anxious. Usually I can cut it off. Say, nope, push the stop button, and I can just go back to sleep. But for whatever reason, I just felt my heart rate go up, and just anxiousness hit me. Like, man, what is wrong with me? What is going on? And then I felt like the Lord started talking to me. and says, won't you, come, won't you come spend time with me? I'm like, do you know what time it is? Like, he doesn't know what time it is, right? And so then I had a choice. Because you know what's so funny? Because I was awake until the thought of, you know, you ought to spend time with the Lord. All of a sudden, I started getting sleepy. Like, oh, I can go to sleep right now. That battle. That battle. And so then I started thinking, if I don't spend time with him now, it's going to be one of those days where it's really going to be a hard time, hard opportunity. Um, it's going to be a challenge to spend time with him. And I was thinking, man, if I spend time with him, I have all the time I want. Da, da, da. So anyway, I got up, went in the living room, and just began to spend time with him. And it's like, oh, my goodness, I plugged into life. I plugged in. It was like he was, and I realized he was inviting me because I had been allowing circumstances and anxiousness to, I was feasting on it. And it was beginning to deter or dictate my direction. And it was like he was reminding me, son, you got to plug into me, plug into the vine, plug into the source. And I just had a great time with him. He began to speak things to me, encourage me. And then he reminded me, he's like, you know, you haven't been making your declarations because that has become a regular part of my life. But for the last two weeks, for whatever reason, it's like I put my clicker down and just dumb choice. But man, that day I was making declarations. I had plugged into him and spent time with him and I just felt alive. And that's how the rest of my week, the rest of the days went. That's why I feel, feel the way I do now. Because of the life source that I plugged into. Started feeling hopeful again. Circumstances haven't changed. Circumstances that I'm dealing with that may be negative have not changed as far as I know. But my mindset and my heart and my attitude have. And my focus and who I'm choosing to partner with. See, I'm choosing to partner with hope and encouragement instead of discouragement. Gloom and frustration and all, all the other stuff that's so easy and attractive to partner with when you're in a negative circumstance. And so I want to challenge you. Fresh challenge. This don't look back, oh man, how many times I haven't spent time with the Lord in the last week, last month, last year, whatever. From today, moving on, let's make choices. Let's make the choice to make spending time with the Lord a stronghold of righteousness in our lives. I'm not talking about a religious duty. But it's like, God, I'm just going to come after you. You're going to become a habit. I'm going to become addicted to you. And you know, that, that used to be my prayer. I just reminded myself. I, that used to be my prayer that, Jesus, I, wanted to be, I want to become so addicted to you that when I don't spend time with you, I can't function. That's a scary thing to pray. Because it would happen. It's like just things would be crazy. I would get frustrated. It's like, ugh, you know. Like, oh, I didn't spend time with Jesus. I haven't read his word. That's what I want to be because he is the life source. Not so I can spend time with him and then check it off on my to-do list. Okay, did that, done that, move on. He is life. He is encouragement. He is strength and he is, he's everything you need. And he's even what you need for the person that you need to share with. You know, how many times have you discovered that you, you're reading something in the Word, just spending time with Him, and you read something like, wow, that was really good. And then you come across a person, and then they're having a situation, and then the Lord has you use the Word that He showed you to share with them, and it's their answer. You ever had that happen before? See, that's not just one of those once in the whenever thing, blue moon, that God wants to do. He wants it to be a regular thing. In other words, he wants to feed you and fill you to overflowing so you have leftovers and you have, no, not leftovers, more than enough. Actually, I like leftovers. 
Not everybody does. Like, we're having leftovers again? Well, my wife says that I rejoice. Leftovers! I mean, as long as it's her food. I mean, I don't eat anybody's leftovers. But he didn't want us just to have leftovers. He wants us to have more than enough. More than enough to where it's just spilling out, flowing over. And, you, and someone comes into your presence or whatever, and then you're able to give them what the Lord shared with you or some that he shared with, with you, and you're able to breathe life into them. See, that's what we're supposed to be and do and not just survive. It's not reading a little card and getting a little verse and say, okay, I got my little verse for today and then go on our little way expecting to live off that little verse. He wants us to live off his presence. He wants us to feed on him and just be connected to him and not, you know, when, you, when we're talking about spending time with Jesus on a regular basis, it's not spending your time with him, whether it's half hour, hour, two hours, whatever it is, and then you leave him there. And you go about your day. That's not what it's about. It's about connecting with him, reading his word, worshiping all the stuff you do, and then, all right, Jesus, here we go. And then together, you and Holy Spirit are going out and doing your life, your job, or whatever it is, and he's right there with you. And because you connected with him earlier, you're sensitive to him, and then if he says, hey, why don't you do this instead of, why don't you handle this problem this way instead of that? Why don't you do this business deal instead of that business deal? You're like, well, you know, I was really thinking, this looks really good, Jesus. He says, I know. Why don't you do that one? And you do that one, and then boom, you get the benefits. Why don't you do this idea? He puts an idea in your head. I believe we should be the best businessmen and women. We should be the best doctors. We should be the ones to discover the cure for cancer. Or whatever the problems is, I believe Christians should and would come up with those things if they just ask. Now, I'm not going to, I don't plan on coming up with the cure for cancer because that's not how, he hasn't wired me to be medical. It, you know, and I really, that's just not me. That's, I mean, you see what I'm saying? If you're a doctor, if he's called you into that, then I believe he's wanting you to be a Holy Ghost filled powerful doctor that's going to bring healing to people and even bring solutions to the nations. Are you hearing me? But we're not going to get to those big C because he's called us to disciple the world. He's called us to make disciples. He's called us to influence the world. But if we can't, if a, if a bad circumstance knocks us out and fills us with hopelessness and despair... And then we recover from that somehow, and then the next challenge knocks us out. And we live life by just surviving. Then how in the world are we going to influence other people? How in the world are, we, are they going to be attractive to what we have? If we're reacting the same way they react. If we don't appear to have any more peace than they have, then why do they want what we want, what we have? But when you're going through hard circumstances... Like King David. And the people around you look at you and they're aware of the circumstances you're going through, but yet they see the peace and the joy. And I'm not talking about fake, I'm talking about the real deal. And they see that and they're like, oh my goodness, how in the world can you be that way in the midst of what's going on in your life? And then you're able to give a reason for the hope that's inside of you. And guess what? They will listen. They will listen because you have their attention, because they see something in you that they want. Series of choices. Series of choices. The next time we will talk about the other six. I only touched one, but that's okay. Let's stand together. And I'm going to ask the um, ministry team to come up. I can tell you, it's so much more fulfilling partnering with life than partnering with negative, despair, discouragement. And that is so much easier. When I was driving around town last week, or the week before, whenever that was, week before last, and I was just discouraged and realized I was discouraged. It's like, man, discouragement, discouragement, discouragement. And the Lord's like, what are you doing, son? 
What have I showed you? He reminded me, but then I had a choice. I could turn off sports radio or I could leave it on. I chose to turn it off, turn on my praise, and I put my praise on. And I just began to pray in the spirit and I began to think on his goodness. I began to worship him. And even though nothing changed, everything changed. Everything changed. He's inviting us to partner with him, to partner with encouragement, to partner with life, to partner with hope. If you're going through a a battle or something that, I mean, you're just having a real hard time getting over, I just want to invite you to to come and let these guys and gals partner with you and and pray and speak hope into your situation and, and just join with you in this battle. Or whatever. And if you need healing, it it, it can be physical, it can be medical, you're going through a a physical challenge or whatever. Jesus provided healing for us. Man, let's come and get it. Let's come and get it. These people believe in healing, they believe in hope. I've asked them. And they want to they want to encourage and help you. They want to join with you. Amen. So when we dismiss, I just want to invite you to come up and and get some goods. And especially you're thinking, well, I've been prayed for a hundred times. Well, let today be a hundred and one. Let's go for it. You know, he doesn't say, ah, you've already been prayed for a hundred times. You're done. We need to let somebody else come and get some prayer. He's got plenty. He's got more than enough. So, Father, thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you that you've called us to be people of hope and encouragement and life. And I just thank you for all of these influential people here who are influencing their environment in a kingdom way. And we thank you for the reminder of who we are and what we get, what we have available to us. And I thank you, Father, that we're going to begin to choose you, to choose hope and begin to walk in that. I speak your blessing on everyone here, every family represented, those who aren't here today because of sickness or or challenges. We just speak blessing over them. We speak life into their circumstances and encouragement. And Father, we just love you and we give you honor. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.